Today is February 16th, 2023. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Naganago Mekoche Chestokom Aki or Dekots Nogotine Siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake Tribe in Treaty 11. My name, Dekots Nogotine. Uh, my people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavies Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. Through my father, I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Act and Post status card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous 2SLGBTQ plus community and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share my journey as I walk down the red road. As a Dene woman who has attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow incarceration, a denial of justice, denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have worked to continue. Reports to advocate for an attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today and I hope that we honor the many Indigenous lives lost for the so-called country named Canada. I hope you see your role in stopping harm as a citizen, as your role as a treaty partner and in reconciliation. Pride Month should never just be one month as it's important to understand that the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space, a space for Indigenous peoples as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. That's why land acknowledgements must have meaning. I encourage everyone to introduce themselves with acknowledgement of their ancestors, story of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee or other land displacement. So we as indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you don't know how to pronounce your local indigenous nation's name, I won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, imposed economic oppression, or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my, my community, my family, myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101, because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you're from, Show me have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Jesse Winty's book, Unreconciled, explains this so perfectly as do many other Indigenous authored books. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from climate change created by colonialism, but it would be a part of the treaty partnership, meaningful reconciliation, and honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce it in Satu Dene. 
my humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Denny elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. I always think of that movie Airplane with uh, Mike Myers, where he always says, you put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> One day the Southerner will learn. Um, I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border of the Blackfeet, north of the border are the Siksika, Gainai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22nd, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy and the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony, and then the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge in support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel. You can go and subscribe, and you can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So today, uh, I wanted to give a bit of a follow-up from uh, last podcast conversation. Uh, I spoke to Bryn Little Light about uh, spiritual abuse and uh, sexual assault. So this particular podcast is going to be filled with many um, conversations about child abuse, sexual assault, and if that is not something you have the emotional capacity for, this might be a good time to end the podcast and catch my next one or listen to some previous ones. In the meantime, I would like to um, honor my two guests that I have today, both Paul and Marina. And Marina, I was wondering if you would like to introduce yourself in your way. Uh, could I have Paul introduce himself first, please? Well, certainly. Thank you, Marina, and, and good morning. I did want to mention that I've known Marina for many years and have a deep, a deep respect for her, um, both as an Indigenous woman and just as a friend over the years. Um, my own uh, background, my stepfather, Norwegian, uh, my mother, Ukrainian, um, my biological father is Jewish, and I've been trying to establish who and where he lives for many years. So in some ways, I have my own identity issues. Um, but I am a European as far as I know. I was really lucky to have exposure and involvement and to receive love uh, from an Aboriginal woman who lived with us when we were children. Um, and that was the first opening. Um, I was really fortunate. Um, she taught me about Aboriginal views of heaven and goodness and spirituality and creators, even before, as I've said it before, before the priests got at me. Um, so I've, I've been exposed to many different religious traditions. Um, I live in the Jewish world now, and I have for the last several decades. Um, so perhaps enough of an introduction. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. Marina, would you like to introduce yourself in your way? Okay, my name is Marina Crane. I'm from Sutina. Uh, I was raised here. I spent uh, 16 of my years off, off reserve. 
And um, I have four grandparents who are Sioux. Um, the, the fourth grandfather is uh, Nakota and Cree, but the majority of my lineage is, is from Minnesota, from the Dakotas, from uh, Sioux Valley, Manitoba, where I was born when the weather was 30 below by, by uh, midwives. <clears throat> so, um, and I grew up uh, snaring rabbits, living off the land with my parents. And uh, at a young age, my parents started traveling to South America and India from the time I was eight to 10 years old. And uh, when they came back and they told the stories of the ancient civilizations that were lost, it intrigued me, as well as when I, um, from the uh, age grade two, I was uh, bussed into the city. So uh, when it came to racism and people calling me wagon burners, I made sure that I uh, said to them, there were lost civilizations in the Americas. Uh, it, it still amazes me that in the 1500s, when the Spanish went into the Amazon, that when they went and saw these huge cities, a hundred years later, they went back in and there was nothing because, because of smallpox. The millions of indigenous people who died in the Americas is, is amazing to me, especially now like with the pandemic and how people realize like, you know, we're, we're, we're not as, as uh, isolated as we appear to be. Th that being said too, even in social media, like I, I, um, I, I, I've done a lot of genealogy in, in terms of uh, who I am. So because of um, Indian residential school and foster care, I did my DNA and, and I have like over 3,000 relatives throughout the United States that, you know, all come from Sioux. And my uh, great grandmother came from, was a child when she ran away from the largest mass execution in Mankato, Minnesota. A lot of this uh, historical um, stories, storytelling, um, wasn't allowed in schools and it wasn't until um, my late mother was well well into her senior years and my aunts that they started talking about the hanging in Mankato and it wasn't until maybe 20 years ago that they started talking about the horrors of Indian residential school. So a lot of this secrecy and uh, taking away um, traditional ceremonies and rites and like all that was lost I believe is a part of why um, a person like Nathan Chasing Horse got away for 20 years because people um, have been conditioned under colonial system to remain quiet, be ashamed, uh, don't make trouble. Um, and for, for me, uh, when, when I say I'm a Sioux, I'm Dakota Sioux, it's because um, I know what my mother went through. I know the horrors that my great that my grandmother went through, my grandmothers, and my grandfathers. I, I tell people I wasn't raised by my parents. I was raised by my parents, but my parents didn't have that luxury. My parents were raised in Indian residential school by strangers, who obviously abused them, who taught them, didn't teach them what love was, and then my grandmother, who was also raised in Indian residential school, who tried her best to be a good mom to my dad. So uh, systemic racism and uh, misogyny uh, I've grown up with. And like uh, you mentioned earlier, the lady who did her podcast on um, sexual abuse, uh, that's one of the key reasons why Paul and I became friends was because I was, I was uh, going through a historical uh, 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 trauma that I had faced like 
oh, gee, 25, 30 years ago. And, and I uh, eventually brought uh, one of the surviving men who had brutally raped me to court. So, so when we talk about historical events of Nathan chasing horse in the past two decades, uh, um, I, I realized like uh, how historical it is, but at the same time too, I uh, started a podcast in 2007. Uh, I'd worked with Nathan Chasing Horse on the movie, um, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. And for the first year, um, uh, I just noticed things and I tried my best to network with people in the United States to verify the stories that he had said in terms of his relationship and how he works with communities. But uh, nobody, nobody uh, followed through. Uh, that being said, um, I'm like I said, I lived in the United States. Um, I'm not a world traveler like my parents or my grandparents or my relatives, but I do uh, believe that uh, my work experience and um, going through the education system, dealing with systemic racism, even being an indigenous female uh, in those institutions. Uh, does does give me some experience. So thank you, Michelle, for inviting inviting me in to to uh, voice my exercise my uh, my voice. Oh, hundred percent. You know, the whole purpose of this podcast is uh, actual representation by Indigenous people. Um, I am so disappointed every single day. I turn on my social media and my media in general. Um, you know, because it. It's still from a colonial point of view, excluding indigenous voices. And I was utterly angry at the, at the way that uh, this Nathan chasing horse issue was even presented in the media. So for folks who um, maybe didn't catch my uh, podcast from last week, Nathan chasing horse is an individual who has uh, really, he's a cult leader and a child sexual abuser, according to the allegations against him and, and what we've always known in Indian country. Uh, as we know, the police do not take indigenous people seriously, don't take sexual abuse seriously, don't take child sexual abuse seriously. And um, here we are now. In, in a situation where we have a man who's been abusive to many people over the course of many years, allegedly, and he is now being um, charged in the States. Now here in Canada, he has many routes to powwows and, and movies and all sorts of time that he's been here. So both the Calgary Police Service and Sutina Police put out a statement saying, um, if you are a victim, please report. And obviously our last uh, podcast talked about how difficult that is as Indigenous people, the long-term issues that we've had with policing and the legal system. So it, it's almost like being um, a victimized three times, as it, four times. It's not enough that it happened. It's not enough your family and your community disown you. And it's not enough that the police don't do their job and, and are rude and awful to you. But then you also have the actual legal system that does not advocate for uh, the folks. And then there's not culturally appropriate uh, victim services afterwards. So we have multi layers of barriers that Indigenous people are facing. Uh, the context of racism, colonialism, and gendered violence never reported in mainstream media. So, you know, these are the issues that we're facing as Indigenous people trying to talk about such a sensitive issue. So, uh, and Marina reached out to me saying that she was willing to talk about some of the things that had happened. And I, I wanted to invite Marina to, to go there if she's comfortable. 
Yes, I, I, um, I know Paul and I had talked about this um, and, and I thought, okay, I'll start off with my own, my own story um, because I had been brutally raped when I was 18. And, uh, and it was until um, 25 years ago, he, he, the person was found guilty and sentenced to two years. Now the maximum term for sexual assault is four years in Canada. And after four years, um, the the person leaves the prison, but they there's a high rate of being reoffending. So um, in my case, it took six years of the RCMP investigating before it even went to uh, the legal system to see if I had a case. Now, I was educated enough to know that I had to uh, really um, work with the RCMP to make sure they brought all the evidence because once the evidence was, was brought, if, it, if there wasn't enough evidence, it would be thrown out and I'd have no case. So I went through three RCMP officers. And um, it, because it was historical, I didn't know like how they were investigating in my community. And uh, I, um, when I found that we were going to go to court, I created a support group within my own home uh, because there was nothing like victims for victims. I, I do really believe that the lack of funding for um, victims of violence in the communities is lacking, as well as any kind of um, um, committee or legislation. Like per, we're talking at the reserve level of of people um, making sure that the people who do come in, who have these so-called standards, mental health practitioners, social workers do have some standards to follow because uh, I'll get to that in, when it comes to 2006 when when I, or 2007 when I reported Nathan Chasinghorst to Suchnet Tribal Police. But in my case, when I went to court, uh, Paul was there with me and um, the, the RCMP, and the, the thing is like, I didn't understand that there was a group of women in the city who, who wanted to support me and I said, okay, and they reassured me. They said, when you go into the courtroom, we've investigated the judge and all the, the men who are going to be in that courtroom so that none of them have a history of family violence. And it was a surprise to me that, you know, because in my colonial way of thinking, you know, white society has these safeguards in place, but they don't, not for women. So, so these women uh, in Calgary said, it, it's safe, Marina, these men these men aren't misogynists. They'll, you know, you'll you'll get a fair trial. You'll get some fairness in the justice system. Um, because it was historical, um, the charges. It wasn't like uh, the charges. That's fifty years ago, so the the charges weren't aren't the same. The laws aren't the same as it is like in the past twenty or even present day. So so even though he's he did get the maximum sentence, it it still seems like a lot of the unfairness of uh, just women in general, because 50 years ago, women couldn't own a house, couldn't have a credit card. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing uh, in terms of what other women had to do just to um, find other women to help, like especially in terms of family violence. Uh, even today, like in Winnipeg last week, a young Indigenous woman educated, uh, ran away from her abusive husband, had a house, rented it out to uh, Winnipeg City Police. And, and all of a sudden, all her children are apprehended. And then she's on TikTok, you know, like a victim, a victim, and she ends up committing suicide. 
like when I when I say that, you know, like, yeah, your your community does does throw you away. Like in all these victims of Nathan Chasing Horse and just the just the um I, I don't know. It's like for me, I, I again, like I, whoever's listening, if it triggers you, you know, you know, really uh, take some time for refocus because what what I'm talking about isn't isn't something easy. It isn't something easy at all, especially when when you have a history of uh, a systemic racism within the city, in the police system, in the judicial system. I mean, uh, they had a march in in Vancouver. And one of the elected members, a female, indigenous female, was so outraged. Like I think the, I don't know how many thousands of people marched in Vancouver, but just the 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 thought that that, that we're, women are still being murdered and missing, like we're the most hunted, hunted of all the females in the Americas. And and for me, being indigenous and and living right by a city, and um, understanding what I've had to do to protect myself. Um, when it comes to uh, Nathan Chasing Horse, uh, my working with him on Bury My Heart and Wounded Knee, um, I like he he networked. I, the women out here were concerned about their daughters because, like again, murdered and missing Indigenous women. So so I volunteered to help, and the and the community was concerned. So we did have ceremony with Nathan. I think six of them. Now you have to understand too, like the amount of money that went into this man for every ceremony, it was like about 6,000 bucks, $6,000. And um, he'd come out to the schools and talk. Now in the period of 10 months or so, be, like after the movie had quit, he was still having a connection here, like through, through my family and, and through members of the community, which to me is like uh I haven't talked to him in 17 years, okay? So when I'm talking in terms of historical, the lateral violence that I've experienced through this man indirectly for 17 years is amazing. Now, in 2007, um, there was a young lady, one of the schools he had gone to, uh, had just turned 15, picked her up at the school, bought her a happy meal from McDonald's or A&W, wherever, took her to a motel on the cloud trail and sexually assaulted her recorded his sexual assault, bless her heart, she had the courage to go to the police. And it took like, well, five years. And part of my, part of what I was doing was helping her mom and her to understand like it, it takes time. But, but sometimes people fall through the cracks. Like she should have, that should have been enough for, uh, for him, for his arrest. And um, from my understanding is, is the police, the Sitchina police wanted to question him. And in my podcast that I, I started like 17 years ago, there were different women throughout the Americas who were calling me. And one of them was in the city of Calgary and she was upset. She said, I thought you said, you know, that he had, that people want to question him. I said, yes. She said, well, he's at the Morley powwows there and the Indian Day Committee is allowing him to be there. What are you talking about? I said, call the RCMP. That's all I can tell you is call the RCMP. Nothing was had of that. Now, other powwows in Saskatchewan he attended. And one of the ladies there was recovering from addiction. She had some children. He, he sexually assaulted her. Uh, she reported it. Again, that should have been enough evidence for them to prosecute him, but it didn't happen. 
And, and so there were uh, people within the community who were rallying around to get him uh, banished from their communities. Now, when I, when I say this, in the reports that came out from Las Vegas and TikTok and social media, Saskatchewan is the only province. I know at the, that time, I, like I'm in contact with some of these uh, sexual assault victims. At the time, there was a vice chief, chief who was female, and they were, they were trying to work with, with the organizations across Canada to get him banned from coming into Canada. That's how bad it was. Now, it so happens that um, the province of Saskatchewan, the First Nations in Saskatchewan, all of the First Nations have banished him from their communities. Like, so that's to be commendable because it took, it took women, Indigenous women, to do this. I, I, I know there's still misogyny and all this victim blaming that happens in, you know, the rest of the rest of Turtle Island. But, uh, you know, I, I, I really think like uh, rather than people um, in this turtle shell, you know, when 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 they get triggered, their head goes back in turtle. You know, we got to be strong enough to, you know, stick our heads out and, you know, say, look, this is this is not right. Um, uh, because I'm Dakota Sioux, uh, we're, we were called, the Crees called us the people of the pipe. And um, when Nathan came, there were things that I was taught to make relatives, you know, to, to, respect, to respect spirituality. Mm. And in, in um, Orville Looking Horse, the keeper of White Buffalo Calf Woman's Pipe, there, the reasoning for that is a woman came down from the heavens with a pipe and she visited two, two uh, men. One lusted after her and the other one didn't. And the one who lusted after her disintegrated. And the seven, seven sacred sites that sacred rites that white buffalo calf woman handed to the Dakota people was given. Now, when Nathan Chasing Horse and people say, oh, he's a spiritual leader. He's a spiritual leader. We did not have sweats or Sundance. And when, when he came to his followers, like they, they were really um, promoting him. Oh, he's a victim. You know, people don't like the fact he's promoting Sundance and Sweat Lodge. But yet, but yet, in in the ways of the Sioux people, he would be one of the men who lusted after White Buffalo Catwoman. So what's happening right now is he's he's disintegrating. You know, I truly believe that. I don't. I don't. Uh, no doubt believe that uh, there's a bigger power than all of us. You know, creators will will be done. But at the time when um, I did this podcast, I did not know what was going to happen. I didn't know like there'd be 20,000 people viewing my blog. I didn't know I would have threats of uh, being sued for slander and maliciousness. I didn't know I would have women coming from Arizona to, to observe me to see if I was a cougar that Nathan had portrayed me to be. And then they had the gall to text me and say, oh, I looked at you at the powwow and you're not like that. Or a woman from Oregon calling me saying he wants me to hack into your computer. And I'm going, like, listen to yourself. You know, like, I haven't talked to this guy in 17 years. Now, again, we'll go back to 17 years. My niece, bless her heart, she, she passed away last year uh, from, from a drug overdose. And um, now, again, if there's trauma, please, people, if I'm traumatizing you with my voice, I don't mean to. But she came, she came to me and I was doing public relations, trying to 
find money for this man to help the women and girls here. And uh, she was claiming like she was infatuated. And I said, no, he's got a, he's got a girlfriend. And she says, oh no, I know, no, that's not his girlfriend. That's not his girlfriend. He only has sex with his girlfriends and, and I'm his girlfriend. And I, it just, it just floored me. She went running out of the house and I went running after her. And she was on the phone with Nathan. I got in my vehicle and I, I went to a mental health worker, a psychotherapist. This is where I'm saying standards of, of people who come into our First Nations need to, you know, somebody needs to monitor these people, social workers who work at child and family, you know, mental health workers. I, I was educated enough to know that I, there was a disclosure and I had to report it to the police. I went to this psychotherapist and for an hour was she was on the phone with him. Afterwards, she says, oh, like she diagnosed my, my stepniece as like it was infatuation, delusional, things like that, and, and left it. And I was still like, I, I had confronted various family members and, and certain women in the community. And I said, no, my niece disclosed this to me. And they said, no. And I'm going, yes, she did. Now, even, even though the mums were, you know, were fundraising to get them to go to his Sundance in Montana, at, at um, what, um, Fort Peck, that was my, my first connection with Fort Peck. Um, I still, you know, was supporting them at the same time, still uh, trying to convince people that, you know, like this is what my, my niece said, my step-niece. And I did eventually go to tribal police. Now, protocol says when, when somebody discloses, there's supposed to be confidentiality. Okay, I called them, Michelle, I called them. They in turn told me to call him myself. There's no confidentiality in me calling him and have him come to the tribal, tribal police office. Okay, now I spoke to him and I said, look, you're working with young women and moms who are infatuated with you because he's uh, you know, a star, a movie star. I said, I said, you have to deal with these, this infatuation because obviously from the psychotherapist who had talked to him, he knew there was issues of, of uh, infatuation. And there's, there's a difference too that I found in the past couple of decades called limerence where you know there's a deeper it's a deeper psychological uh, diagnosis when it comes to like attachment theory and when you're when you're a child from childhood trauma however at the time i said to him you 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 have to deal with these women and girls they're infatuated with you so this is the first one my stepniece you need to talk to her that it's just infatuation i said you need to go to the police i said because if you don't do that there's going to be a lot of you're going to hurt a lot of young girls and women. Now he didn't go. Obviously he didn't go, but if the police had handled it right and it was all confidential and he went there and he was questioned. And if they brought in my niece, I know that bless her heart, she would have been so upset. My, 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 my step niece had issues. She had FASE. She was taking medication. She, she, she had behavioral problems her whole life. He took advantage of her. There's nothing I could have done. Nobody was listening. And um, at the same time too, within my own family, uh, Nathan had covered up 
uh, what my own my own brother was doing to his stepdaughter. So so and then I had another relative within my family who supported Nathan right until this past month. Her children going to ceremonies, spending huge amounts of money supporting him. Not only her, but just women within Sutina too. And and there's nothing I could have done. Nobody wanted to listen to me. The only the only escape that I had was to write a blog, put it out to the universe, and hope somebody was listening. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and throughout the past seventeen years, women from Saskatchewan, BC. North and South Dakota, Arizona, you know, text me or or emailed me mm -hmm. about their experience being sexually assaulted by Nathan Chasing Horse. Mm -hmm. At one point, I spoke to a lawyer, a Sioux woman. I said, I, I I'm not getting like I, I'm doing this blog, but it just seems like uh, you know, again, I didn't understand the shame and the guilt of why women wouldn't respond to my blog. They they'd see it, or some of them would have the courage to contact me. She said, oh, Marina, keep it going. She says, my, my uh, niece in Rapid City read your blog and um, reported to my sister that Nathan had sexually assaulted her. So I had phone, phone calls from uh, investigators from Rapid City calling me, asking you know, what I had known about Nathan. And then I even had an investigator from Montana at Fort Peck. So you got to understand when I went down to Fort Peck for uh, his Sundance, I networked with some the, the indigenous people there, created content through like the past you know, 10 years. So um, not hearing what they were, what was happening, because I suspected what was going on. And I, ma I made sure that I talked to the people in Fort Peck. I said, I, I don't expect, I don't, I don't think he is what he think, claims to be under the guise of Sundance and, and ceremony. And sure enough, like uh, people in the community would would get in their vehicles and circle the home where he was doing ceremony, trying to you know get this man out of their community. And nobody did anything. The investigator said in Fort Peck, he says we've been watching him for the past ten years, and and last last week Fort Peck has charged has put a charge on him for sexually assaulting a thirteen and fourteen year old. So this was part of the investigation that the investigator didn't tell me. Mm. In the meantime, on my blog, I would, you know, make some sort of comment that, you know, this is what's going on. He's still out there. And um, just the, um, some, some of the, some of the people who did, the girls who did come in, like I, I tried to help as much as I could, but at the same time too, I had to step back and think, okay, uh, are they just curious? Are they making this up? But the majority of times, though, I I do I do seriously think that um, um, systemic racism within within the police system. My 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 niece eventually did report report Nathan to the Calgary City Police. Um, my brother did serve four four years for his crime, um, but at the same time, though, it was just the the struggle. My niece just couldn't comprehend what Nathan had done to her. It was the same thing what my brother did to her. Mm. She was very, um, in, like, um, I had Paul help me um, with that because uh, it, she was just really difficult to 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 talk to. 
and and uh, within the community, like uh, I was uh, shunned again. You know, like how how dare I how dare I uh, say something about a movie star, like I'm backstabbing him. Well, but, FYI, I, mean, he... I think you're a freaking rock star. I think you're a rock star for uh, empowering yourself, empowering your family writing the blog and empowering others because i don't know if we would be here today if you hadn't so from my point of view thank you from the bottom of my heart because we have to have these real conversations about racism sexism policing the lack of justice and where where we are as indigenous women as a result of all of this so yes, from and, my and, point of view thank you well even the 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 moms of his children in in 2006 he had an 18 year old daughter and in 2007 2008 i made contact with one of the moms who was in minnesota and she in turn uh like i made contact with an, another lady in alaska who had two children from him so um he had like 10 children who he hadn't paid back child support and by 2007 i think he owed 65,000. Um, by 2010, the lady from Minnesota had tried to get in touch with Sutina because of all the money that Sutina had given out to him. Now, we're not just talking um, our banned funds. We're also talking about his supporters. His supporters gave him money. And, but there was no, she tried to make contact to try and, to try and uh, get him to justice to pay child support. In, in all of that, in all of that, um, we kept the, the children's name private. She she published it on the internet. And that was the only thing that, that kept me going was the fact that, that uh, uh, there was some negative press out there on him, but nobody else, like all those Indian indigenous communities he had visited, nobody, nobody said nothing. And like even, even two last week, they were trying to release him on a $300 bail and they were saying, well, he's going to be in a home where he's going to wear that security bracelet. Uh, and the woman, the woman works for Salvation Army. She's, she uh, fights against human trafficking. And then bang, the news media got it and they chased her. She was a supporter of his cult. She, <laughs> her own daughter was one of his wives, you know. And I'm going, that's my point, exactly. Why do you think he got away with so much is because people in positions of power who are working in terms of helping mental health, social services, legal police or whatever, we're supporting this man. Yeah, yeah, I am so sorry. I'm really glad you brought up the word cult. And Paul, I'd like to bring you in here to talk about um, your role in supporting and, and how this, you know, breaking down what a cult is, but also breaking down your relationship with Marina on how it is that you were able to navigate her when clearly the whole entire system cannot. Well, thank you very much, Marina. I, I see your strength. You said effing or, or freaking rock star. Um, yeah, I, I have my own respect, absolutely. Um, and, and a great deal of respect. I've seen the stories of your life, Marina, as well, that have been that have been really important. Um, I was thinking part of it goes back to me being I was a canoe tripper when I was a kid. I was a real outdoors guy. And 
being on uh, the shore of one of the lakes in southern Saskatchewan, there was a local RCMP detachment. And at one point in the morning, and this was before I had gathered up the kids I was taking down the lake, uh, an RCMP, uh, you know, kind of a suburban model, backed up to the uh, shore. Younger RCMP uh, gets out of the uh, suburban kind of vehicle, opens the back, reaches inside, and pulls out a thoroughly disheveled, crying, young Aboriginal woman and threw her on the beach. And she runs and, and, and down and disappears. And that image has always been with me. Uh, it's never left me. I, I think I was 13 or 14. I don't know, Maureen, if I ever told you about that girl by the lake or not. Well, well even, even too, just this week, um, there are RCMP in BC who um, were charged with uh, sexually assaulting um, you know, teenage girls, uh, um, and an RCMP charged them, but nothing came of it. Yeah. So even though it's historical, they're, they're hoping that those young girls who are in their 30s, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. early 30s will come forward and, and um, you know, op reopen this case. So, Paul, yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's fresh. Well, you're reminding me of that. And, and so partly I'm going to myself. You know, these are old, old things. And Michelle, there's a couple of other things. Um, you know, Maureen and I have also talked about the cultures that we live in and some of the crossovers. Well, okay. Do Jews and Indigenous people have anything in common? What's involved? And that's been part of our dialogue over the years as well. You know, Marina has been involved and, and seen a number of different kinds of religions and so on. Um, certainly in Judaism, we have a buried history. Um, it was third generation before the kids started to talk about what happened in the camps to their grandparents. And Marina, you and I have seen a real parallel there. I think there are parallels in other cultures as well, where there has been genocidal effects. The Armenians, for example, profound struggles. Who can recall? Who can label it? Um, dare we mention Ottoman? All these political overrides that suppress the histories, the stories of what happened. Um, so Maureen and I have also had a chance to share these things in terms of you know, looking at history and so on. Around the cults, um, I have been looking at cults professionally and, and, and in terms of theories, like how do these things come up for many, many years. Part in my own clinical experience, um, so I, I am a clinical and forensic psychologist. And I have been working around trauma for many years. Um, I started out with child abuse, trying to figure out what's the battered child? What is this? What, what do those burns mean? What, and so on. Um, I also became very involved in working around domestic violence, um, both looking at American and Canadian models of things. Um, later, I was involved working with uh, survivors of torture. And even that phrase, I know, can be triggering for some, as it should. When we name these things, it should touch our hearts and our memories and our histories and, and thinking about reaching out and so on. So all of these things have 
affected me. Uh, it, it's how I practice, but it's also what I see. I'm really used to witnessing stuff that doesn't get talked about a whole bunch. Now, what, what a professional way to put it, eh? <laughs> it's just the opening of the eyes and the opening of the heart. I, I think that's something that Marina and I share as well. Um, Cults galore. Um, I have one text going back, looking at a thousand years of millennial cults. Millennial just means the leader is saying, either follow me or you die. You can die in this world. It's going to guarantee your death in the next. Or if you do the right thing, you can even kill yourself because I am the avenue to God and we will send you to heaven. And that's one of the most chilling things about cults where there's real, there's physical, physical danger to the, uh, to the members. As I was watching this unfolding, um, and I was asking the same questions, left alone, left alone, it's never taken seriously. It was when, this is my perception, and, and I've shared this with you, Marina, it was when uh, information was coming out saying that Nathan Chasing Horse or Nathan Lee Chasing Horse had instructed his wives on firearms usage and how to kill people. You, you don't do shoots, you know, you don't shoot for the feet, you kill the person. It's when that came out that he was instructing his wives on how to kill any police that came into the compound or anywhere around. And the second part of it was he's also teaching them that they need to commit suicide, to take pills or poisons if the police get into the compound and he is not there. That, of course, brought everybody's alarms up. Um, Reminding Jonestown that comes up, there's Hell's Gate, there's a number of, you know, Branch Davidians, a number of cults we've had in North America, um, where this has been revealed, and then all hell breaks loose, as we say. Um, so I think that that's something that's really involved. What it, I was, well, I don't know if optimistic is the right word, it is so good to see this finally unfolding. Um, you know, and, and yeah, it, it took the, uh, the plots to murder a policeman to bring around a really forceful response. And I've commented to Marina some of the uh, parallels with the Freedom Convoy, where the plot to murder RCMP down in Coos, Alberta is the thing that finally brought, brought things into action. Um, oh, Paul, remind me yeah. of that. Let's um, afterwards, I got something to tell you that I can't prove, so I can't say it on the podcast. So remind me of that later. Um, but I do want to ask you this. So Bryn Little Light and I spoke in the last podcast about spiritual abuse. And yes. I tried to break down what spiritual abuse is because, um, you know, a lot of the uh, Christian churches obviously perpetuated that here in Canada. And because of the lack of, um, you know, resources on mental health, on trauma, on culturally sensitive trauma, on caring about Indigenous people, racism, uh, obviously we have unhealed wounds. And trauma bonding is a real problem. I, we even talked about 13 steppers who are predators who go after folks who are trying to um, go into recovery. Uh, we talked about many of those different things. And um, she was saying one of the things that she was very concerned about was how many people were are going to talk about bad medicine. And I said, well, 
even Buddhists would beat up their uh, folks with disabilities because they felt they deserved it from a, whatever they did in a past life. And I tried to really break down the difference between spiritual abuse yeah. and spirituality. And I was wondering if you would help our listeners with the difference there, because um, uh, one of the reasons, one of the biggest powers I see that Nathan has had and his followers is the misuse of spirituality. Uh, so, you know, he's a spiritual man, he's going to, um, you know, invoke bad medicine. Now I come from the belief system that anyone who does that is hurting themselves and are, are you know, really setting themselves up for failure. And I'm also a believer that I have strong enough spiritual uh, boundaries, but for folks who are, are not working on their healing, who don't understand what trauma bonding is, who doesn't know what spiritual abuse. Can you help name that a little better so that folks listening can uh, feel empowered that if they know something about someone like Nathan or Nathan, that they could report? What, what great questions and, and what deep questions these are. Trauma bonding is something that happens and works cross-culturally, cross-gender between groups. You can have small groups of people that are terribly victimized within a larger societal group. They'll defend and so on. Um, so I've looked at extreme, extreme situations. Um, the Holocaust, what, what goes on in times of war with mass imprisonments and the torture of people and so on. Um, I've certainly been reading about that for many years across many cultures. You mentioned earlier, well, you know, the Buddhists will uh, beat because, you know, your attention is off and so on. It's also been fairly well documented that countries that are Buddhist majorities uh, are involved, for example, like the things, some of the things that have happened in South Asia, where Muslims have been attacked and, and beaten in great numbers by Buddhists. Uh, we have conflict between organized religions and that sort of thing happening. Trauma bonding means you have control over someone's, well, perceived control over their very life. And you are supposed to do things to keep them happy. And if you were more obedient, uh, it wouldn't happen. And that's that covers the experience, um, let's say, a, a rich white girl. Um, being battered by father, being raped by an older brother, the traumatic bonding, I can't go anywhere else, that person locks me out of the world. So there's something about, there's no, there's no safe path. Plus, if abuse is going on at the time, it's the helplessness. Um, you know, one of the authors that I've read for decades now, uh, Robert J. Lifton, so psychiatrist um, with a particular interest in, in social evil. Like, what is it that allows evil to happen? Well, if you're in a situation, you've got four people and you've got a small kid in the doorway watching a gang beating going on, that happens. It's standard, standard stuff in gangs. Um, that child's going to have real different ideas about loyalty and trusting the world and the cops are out to destroy us. And it's because they hate us because we're Ukrainian or we're this or we're that. So you put in a couple of little tags like that. The world hates you. I'm strong enough to understand and protect you and so on. This is some of the language and the experience of traumatic 
bonding. Um, we've seen that happen very much with girls who are in families where sex is commercialized or rapes go on and strangers are brought into the house. Again, this insecurity, the thing that makes it so perverse to my way of thinking is that the word of God is brought in or the word of the creators or the grandmothers or, you know, um, the idea that love medicine is involved. That's kind of a derivative, I think, uh, to dark medicine. Um, that stuff, I've seen so much of it applied. Um, Marina certainly knows a great deal more about it than I do. In the Jewish world, there's a little, I mean, there are certainly some cults in, in the Jewish world as well. There was a minority group that started in Israel in the 1980s, uh, left Tahor, uh, an individual guy, an individual rabbi um, who started a cult and um, it eventually led to them being against Israel. They fled Israel. This is an interesting case study. They got refugee status in Canada because they didn't like the Israeli government made me crazy at the time because I knew an awful lot about, about refugee status and so on. But they came in and then uh, went to the States, ended up in Quebec with a number of, of children. And what they've been practicing is child marriage and forced child marriage and so on. So, I mean, there, there's a number of contemporary Jewish uh, cults um, there haven't been as many cults that say that people should die if the group is under threat. There haven't been many of that, but historically uh, in Judaism, we have a couple of instances like that. So these things are across history. They seem to be across cultures. When it's embedded in the history of racism, as it has been for the indigenous people, uh, it becomes so linked up with everything else. I remember working... I was working with Sixtica, um, and I've worked for a number of, of bands over the years. Um, I just wanted to, uh, for, for a number of different professional reasons. But I remember hearing the stories of how uh, the uh, the road, the road into Sixtica, into, into the First Nations, which is what is now First Nations, was blocked off at one point because the land wanted to be, the government wanted to succeed the land to somebody else, another group that was coming in. And starvation ensued uh, on Sixtica. This is back in the 1920s. So I've spent you know, I had a number of conversations with other professionals, psychologists, people doing cross-culture. I say, do you know that the history of what's happened here in Alberta, or do you know what happened in different parts of Saskatchewan and so on? So there's this profound lack of understanding, even of history itself. And I'm convinced that that's part of the trauma bonding that we're talking about here. Oh, 100%. Uh, that's why I tried to push mm -hmm. our elected officials to do more for the education component and why I'm proud 100%. to have a book club since 2016 and will continue to do that work because to me we need to educate people immediately and I mean it is willful at this point I mean a lot of these books now have been out for for quite some time that were indigenous authored indigenous led and uh, so we are standing, getting to the point where the average Canadian and elected official and public servants, like they, they have a duty. 
and for them to not understand that. And watching what happened with the Law Society here last week was really disappointing. Um, so anyway, I just, I, I wanted to ask you more about how do we help folks who are stuck in this mindset uh, move out away from it so that we can get them to consider reporting? There needs to be someone who listens. I mean, the list, the listening is, is absolutely critical. Um, there needs to be a voice that's not going to betray them. And is oh, hold on. Yes, yes. Yes, it's important to listen. But the thing, the thing is, when they're listening, are they actually hearing what you're saying? Oh yes, yes. yes. Okay, that, because like for, for decades, like I'd be talking about my sexual assault, and people were listening, but they weren't hearing it. They weren't hearing it. And all of a sudden, this woman came to me and they, she heard what I was saying. Mm -hmm. She says, Marina, you know, there's no statute of limitations. And I'm going, you're hearing me. Mm -hmm. yep. Like, yep. like, like the amount of people who wanted to suppress me, not to press charges. I even had one person try to run me off the road so that, so that I would, so like, like, I'm like, what I'm trying to say is when the RCMP came forward and they said, you were the 13th victim of these men. Yeah. in your community and you were the youngest so so when when this this started happening 17 years ago and and even the tribal police didn't follow protocol in in how to deal with my like a disclosure so it's supposed to be confidential confidential and even even too when I've talked to my relatives like across Canada and like I had my mom's cousins like they were spiritual people having Sundance sweats and 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 they were horrible, horrible spiritual people. You know, like they go in fast and then all of a sudden they you, they couldn't find them because they're they've gone off with some woman and then they they have to uh, some family member has to step in because there was a spiritual obligation. So that whole trauma bonding within indigenous communities is historical. It's not yeah. this Nathan Chasing Horse, you know, for people thinking, oh it's he's young. You know, this has happened. No, it's happened. It's happened for a long time. Even when yeah. my mom was a child, my grandfather used to say, he says, you know, the Sundance and sweats, they were good at one time. He says, but but they're not good anymore. And, and I truly believe it's because of Indian residential school and how they taught trauma bonding in those places, mm -hmm. even to the point where I where I say it was ritual abuse, mm -hmm. ritual abuse. Yeah. And, and what Nathan has been teaching has been ritual abuse. Yeah. I mean, the. When I saw, looked at um, the courtroom when all his followers came in, there was one man there who, who has been with him for the past 17 years. And I think, what has he witnessed? I've had, I've had uh, young women say, I was, I was in a vehicle at Bear Butte and he assaulted me. I was screaming and his followers were outside the vehicle and didn't help. And, you know, I, um, there was one young lady from Arizona who was an Indian princess, a princess for her community, uh, had to do a function in, in Rapid City. Her parents took her and he, and he kidnapped her into a hotel room. The parents got the Rapid City police to go into that hotel, you know, rescue the daughter. And meantime, he's escaped out the back door. Like, you know, it's amazing how he got away with things. And, and uh, the fact that there, there have been people, there was one young lady that I met in um, uh, Fort Peck. 
um, I um, to hear to hear years later from my my friend who's now deceased uh, say that um, she'd been in and out of state hospitals because she tried to kill himself from the abuse that he inflicted on her. It's, you know, it's, it, it, I, I used to work for a state hospital in Utah for suicide teenage girls when I, when I was 29, 30. And, and so I, I understand the importance of identity and it, it's just the, it's just the fact that there's needs to be, there's not enough money in place for um, education in, in our schools, our First Nation school system, our judicial system. Sutina, I think, has come quite a long way since 17 years ago. Um, we had the the girls that were involved uh, have grown up, our young moms, and they're supporting each other. There was a group, I think, 10 to 14 young girls who were all there at the time that took part in the ceremonies that continued to bond with each other. And they're there supporting those girls who uh, have come forward to, to lay charges against this man. And, I have a question uh, for both of you. And it would be, what would you want folks who are enabling them to know about their own um, psychological bonding to these folks that they are enabling abuse? Is there is there a way that we can maybe connect and, and have a message? Because I think, um, you know, it, it's such a common issue in our communities that we enable abuse. And I know for myself, um, you know, I, I know that the law is you're supposed to tell the police. And I know that for like one of our, our family members, um, you know, that it, it's not set up for the victim to disclose without them being put through the entire system in a, in a negative way. But enablers, you know, they know that and they really stop that. And then the victim is then, you know, double hurt by by the community as well. So do you have a message for enablers on how to um, try to try to see what they're doing is wrong? You know, the first thing that I'm thinking, you have abandoned any definition of the sacred, any definition of the sacred. There is no definition of God that allows you to rape and kill children, period. This is where we're not supposed to be. That, that, that's another world. That, that, so there, there's that, just that very image that, you know, you've lost the sacred. Um, now, people may not hear that. Some people may see the sacred simply as whatever's going on with power and the abuse. So we say that. I'm really fascinated. I, I've been talking to Marina about another case that's been unfolding uh, in Quebec. Um, a fellow who's described as a billionaire. And he has quite a number of young women, typically street women, street women, street kids, kids who can't go anywhere except for the street. Another way of looking at it, huh? um, who are very vulnerable. He gets them picked up, uh, feeds them. He's, he's got a big clothing shop, something like that. Gives them a lot of clothes. And then, then they're sexually abused for a day or two. It's been in the courts. It's been investigated. The security to Quebec, uh, Montreal police. It's just kind of sitting there. Um, so in terms of denial and power and so on, um, we have other stories. Epstein, how did that go on for so long? Where you've got people in power. And if the parallel 
is okay here you are aboriginal you've been both defeated in history some of the things that you mentioned Rena, that are so important um you have no status you have no voice there's nobody around um so all of those issues are involved as well and i guess just to remind people do you know what you're supporting do, do you know what you're doing don't you understand this? Look, here's a review article on how many kids who are sexually abused commit suicide later, for example. One of the things I'm really aware of is the complex PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, that accompanies people that have been in profoundly traumatic situations. So I was looking yesterday at, at the PTSD rates for people that have been in abusive religious cults. Uh, suicide rates and attempts and fantasies and self-harm is much higher if a person's been in a sexually abusive religious cult than even for combat people that have lost fingers and legs and killed people. So that's the second thing that I think you can talk to the enablers about. Mm -hmm. well, do you know that you're killing that person? Mm -hmm. Don't you know? Yeah, there's. we can talk about their soul death. We need to talk about that, I think. We can talk about uh, loss of identity, loss of belief in oneself, and the fact that they're probably going to die a lot younger if you hadn't done this to help that guy or that 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 group. So I think that that really raw psychological data is pretty important as well. Agreed. Yes, and I... Yeah. Would you like to uh, add yeah. to that? Yes, um, thank you, Michelle. Um, um, I, I've attended a lot of funerals. Um, mm -hmm. When I went to art school, uh, my final year we were talking and uh, I said, how many of you have, how many people have lost somebody in four years? I think the maximum somebody had lost two. I said, people that you know that are networked to a network, like a cousins and a cousin like that. Mm -hmm. I said, I thought I can trace 200 people. Like I, like, you know, like the, when, when you're in First Nations and you've grown up in a community and you, you become family, you know, you're connected to people and, and they in turn to you. So, so as much as um, um, for, for me, my community has been a healing community. Um, educating me in lateral violence educating me in uh, having the courage to help young people. You know, when I go to funerals and I say, some of these things that Indian residential school taught and religion about forgiveness, I said, there are, do you know there are some things that are unforgivable? And, and for me, people not hearing what I'm saying, they're only listening and I'm going, no. When we stand before judgment, do you think creator is going to let us all in? I said, every religion on earth says there's, you know, judgment, at least some of them. Okay. And I'm going, don't you think that there are some things that are unforgivable? I said, like, like, uh, like raping a child, murder. And like, uh, when the disclosure happened, one of the ladies, one of the women here, I disclosed and she says, well, I spoke to a, uh, a spiritual man in Saskatchewan at a sweat, and I told him, I asked him about, you know, men um, uh, sexually assaulting children, and he says they're forgivable, which was amazing to me. It was like I was shocking, and then later on, she gives her own daughter to Nathan, 
So, so no matter no matter how much you try to say to people, are you are you like I say, are you actually hearing what I'm saying? Like you may be listening, but are you actually hearing what I'm saying? And because because it's not a, I I think it has a lot to do with just shame and guilt or feeling like you're not adequate enough or that you yourself have been a victim of trauma and haven't healed from it. Mm -hmm. uh, because in order to suppress it, like my late mother, bless her heart, until the day she died, it was just like I knew. She said, she said to me, if I had known how, how Indian residential school affected my entire life, I would have done something earlier. And I tell people, when my parents were young in the 60s, they knew what was happening in these schools. And so when it comes to truth and reconciliation and saying, well, here's a therapist, here's a psychotherapist. These are the calls to action. Where were those calls to action when my parents were, were young, happily married couples? Those play, when they went to Indian residential schools, those places were horrific. They were practicing ritual abuse. Yes. And people looked the other way. My mother was so afraid of white people. I would take her into the hospitals and I'd say, I'm staying here with her. I said, because when you're asking her, how much is her pain? I said, she, because you're white, she's going to say, she thinks that you want her to have a good answer. She's going to say her pain level is three, when it's actually eight or nine because she thinks that that's what you want to hear she's so afraid of you you know how many people understand what trauma bond is and then you have to be there to support these victims these these survivors of Indian residential school you know you can you can get an education get your doctorate or whatever in in psychotherapy or become a lawyer you know, I, I have one one uh, acquaintance. I knew him when I was a teenager. He became a lawyer, was an RCMP officer, became a lawyer, came from a Métis settlement. I think he was a survivor of residential school. He talks about racism in, in the Mounties. He was instrumental in uh, uh, some legislation in Alberta for Métis people. And and today he he doesn't, he gave up his Canadian citizenship he says, you know, the systemic racism in Canada is so horrific, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. Mm. He says, I, I worked the system. I worked the judicial. He was he worked for the justice system, just justice system of Canada. Yeah. You know, and, and the, the whole fact is like, how safe are we as women when you have elected officials advocating for murdered and missing indigenous women? And those people in, in politics aren't listening. Right. You know, we have we have a, you know it 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 amazes me that that uh, uh, in in Alberta they they want to erase our voices our indigenous voices and for me bless my parents hearts and my grandparents for traveling for having the courage to to let me know that you know my my indigenous people from the Americas were not savages. And for a very young age, like eight to 10 years old, I would educate non-Indigenous people. You're trying to tell me? My ancestors contributed a lot to this society, and you're trying to erase this. And when I sit, sit on certain committees in the city and I say, when it comes to public art 
and we have young people doing, expressing this trauma bonding, all these things that they have to yeah. maneuver. We need to have support in place for them. We can't set them up for failure. My generation was set up for failure. My parents' generation and my grandmothers, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. There's a renaissance of young people coming up today. There's a young man, he says, it's up to us to deal with people like Nathan Chasing Horse. He says, my brother practiced Sundance and, and sweats and he was killed by the Winnipeg police. He says, there's the Lancy Foundation that has a 90 some odd percent uh, healing. And he says, he says, it's up to us young people to find other modalities of healing to incorporate in our path to wellness. Young, he says, our, our parents, our grandparents didn't have those opportunities. We as young people have them. And for me, appearing here in this podcast is to, to let young people know, find a secure place, find people that you trust, talk to them. I'm very proud of my niece and all the young women in Sutina who have that in place. Took a lot of hard work. You know, it was taken away from us. I remember as a child, my mom had um, 13 aunties, all my grandmothers. They all came together and they were strong, strong Dakota women. They helped raise those kids. Anything that Nathan Schwesinghorst has done has brought a big disgrace to the great Sioux Nation. That's not how I grew up. I did not see that kind of abuse because, because there were women there protecting me. You know, shame on, shame on him yeah. and shame on anybody who supports him. Marina, I you thank know, you so much for yes. sharing all of this and, and, and speaking so strongly. And I think as, uh, you know, Indigenous women, we need to lift each other up. I'd be honored to have you both on in the future as, as this unfolds. And um, I just wanted to ask Paul and then Marina, if you have any lasting things that you want to say for this particular podcast. Yes, um, I guess a couple of things in terms of how we can look at working with people that have been abused in these situations, in these organizations, in these structures. I'm looking at okay, what, what do people say when it comes to helping uh, individuals that have left cults that have been involved in cults. I believe now whether we see it as somebody somebody who's caring and responsible and smart rescuing people or if it is someone who walks away themselves from a cult or someone that is banished by a cult whether that means you know shunning the way it's organized in a number of different religions or whether there's a more vindictive vendetta kind of shunning i think just getting away and then looking at what's happened um Marina, earlier when I spoke about listening, and you so beautifully segued into what what does it mean to be heard? Um, I think that is there that that's essential, no matter what we're doing in, in terms of support and psychosocial support, anything like that. And yes, sometimes we are engaged in rescue, but the support has to be there. There needs to be safety, and there needs to be resources. 
you know, if people who have been abused within a group, one of the ways that they're managed, of course, is that they have very little resources. So Nathan is now you know, worth $5 million on social media and everything else. I'm sure that there were some people that could have gotten away with $20 US. So, how, you know, how do you compare power and all of that? I think it's really important that there be resources. Identity, the core identity of who a person is, surely to goodness that becomes where the, the most fertile ground is. And Marina, you and I have talked about you know, all kinds of new age therapies and get magic with a pill and blah, 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 how ridiculous that is. And it's really psychotherapy addressing the individual. That's what seemed to be critical in this. Um, I've looked at some of the deculting programs. That's what they're called, if you can believe it or not. Um, some of them are quite reasonable. It's like, you know, just allow yourself to question what you've experienced and what they said about your experience. How does that fit? How doesn't it fit? Is there a better vision? So I think there's a lot of, a lot of things that can be worked on there. In terms of uh, the structure, look, I, as you know, Marina, I worked for the feds for public safety for seven years. I worked with sex offenders. I was a hostage negotiator. I was a sworn peace officer. And the things I saw and learned and tried to address around systemic refusals to listen, uh, refusing to understand what culture means, uh, and so on, there's tremendous difficulties and, and problems. I've also worked with some incredibly good officers, both male and female, Indigenous, Métis, German, a whole variety. There's good people as well, but the structures, boy, do they get in the way. Um, you can look at the Globe and Mail and what's the RCMP doing now? They've got a new chief commissioner coming in. What are all the problems? Profound difficulties in, in achieving justice and fairness in, in this country as, as most places. So I just wanted to mention that, that there is a literature, there's a robust literature, it's available, um, I think support groups, the group that you've talked about, Marina, those young women who survived and have now come together with their strength, that's incredibly important. And that's the case in any culture I've ever known, whether I've been looking at, you know, uh, Romanian women trying to deal with uh, domestic violence after the fall of communism. There's a whole literature on that and how politics and violence against women and misogyny interacts. So there's all of that. I'm just thinking that, you know, professional organizations and planners need to be looking at all of that. So there needs to be voices open all around us. Thank you, Paul. Marina, are there any lasting points you want to make for today's episode? Well, just that. Um, um, like, like the group of women who, who are supporting each other here in Sutina, it just didn't happen overnight. It's been 17 years these young women have been together. And, and no doubt they'll carry this support, this mental health support, right until they become elders like me. Those things were never in place when I was young or for my mother and my grandparents. So, so that, like I said, there's a renaissance of young people that's out there. We may not see them, uh, and I and I say like for the white supremacists or people who are racist, you can do what you want, say what you want, 
there is a force out there of indigenous people, not just in Canada and the Americas, all over the world, and, and other people, minority people that, that are there in this in this renaissance. And and if we for young people and for people who um, have come from childhood trauma and, and you want you want to be famous or you want to get noticed. Creator blesses healers. Those healers um, can't even utter to public that they're healers, because that's how that's creator's will. So when it comes to spirituality and for uh, Nathan Chasing Horse to be called a spiritual leader, it goes against all of the teachings. Yeah. And and um, I, I know it's difficult uh, for young people and even people who've lost their identity or have been in 60 scoop to come back into community because even for me growing up in community, I have to navigate through like misogyny, uh, lateral violence. Uh, I have to make sure that I have uh, pray for protection. I have physical protection, things like that. And even with this podcast, I don't know the repercussions I'm going to get uh, but yet, you know, um, I've, 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 <laughs> I've lived it my whole life. And I, 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 tell, I told my, my one niece, I said, I, I buried your mom and, and uh, your aunties. Like I, I saw what violence, like what their partners did to them. Uh, and it's not just indigenous women, like I said, there, there were women's groups in the city who were who were out there to help. Like, but Paul says there are people, good people out there. Mm -hmm. uh, we gotta shop around and and look for allies, and and make sure we know what a good ally is. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Misha. Oh, I'm so honored. My gosh. You, you remind me if if I just could please just put in a word of the incredible respect that I've had for everyone I've known that I've seen suffering. In, in all of my professional time or any of the work that I've done uh, in my own community, you know, in the Jewish community around, around suffering, especially that that's attached to being a Jew. But I just really want to pay respect to the suffering that we see because our witnessing is really important. And, and Marina, you and I share that, share that value. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, honored, honored to have you both on and Marina. We do know there's going to be repercussions. I get hate mail every single day and I don't care because it just says more about them than me. But the problem with that is that there are times that can become very scary. And I'm grateful. I just want to remind those um, bad actors. Marina has police with her. I have police with me. So, and, and Paul, as a white male, he has been embedded in the police system. I'm not saying we're protected, but I am saying, you know, if, if you are so compelled to put energy into trying to give us hate mail or, or whichever, that energy should have gone towards your own healing and maybe re-listening to this, maybe listening to what trauma is in your life. Um, one organization I was lucky to be a part of was White Bison Society, and there was a, a program called Mending Broken Hearts. 
And just the concept of telling people to um, look at your life, timeline it, write down your trauma, and then do it for your family was actually far too overwhelming for some folks to even consider doing. Yeah. So put your energy towards healing instead of trying to attack people that don't deserve it. And any victim of Nathan, I want you to know we care about you. There's three people who are, who are here for you, at least. And the police want to help you too. And we can be that liaison to the police if you're, you're scared. And for healing circles, please, if you are Indigenous and you have the means, please start using your power and privilege in a good way. Because I know there are so many gatekeepers that are so convinced. Like I, I met one, an elder, an unhealthy elder who was convinced he couldn't even smudge with me because of his teachings and, and such. And I thought, well, what is some disconnected Indigenous woman who's maybe been uh, an essay victim for years, decades, how are they ever going to talk to this man ever? So I'm, I'm doing a call out to all the elders. You're you misusing your power. We have a lot of people that need your help. The TRC, the MMIW report, talk about the apprehension of our children, the abuse that they've gone through their entire childhood, and then they end up at your doorstep, and what do you do? So start using your power in a good way. So I, I, again, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Marina. We're going to continue this conversation, obviously, and I'm going to give some solutions to folks who may feel very um, triggered by this conversation. I appreciate you staying with us. It maybe it was a little extra longer, but it, I think we can all understand why. So I'm going to um, promote the chapter 11 of the National Inquiry into our March Book Club. Um, again, if you are interested in doing actual work action instead of just sitting around and pretending like you care and retweeting colonial parties that don't care about our, our issues join a reconciliation committee uh, we have the reconciliation action group here in calgary someone had the audacity to ask me how you get in touch of it i'm like seriously how hard is it to google reconciliation action group get our email get our social media and start working together how difficult is this for you that you have to ask me that um, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and cultural safety training and first aid and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of colour, those with disabilities and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. Thank you to authors Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca on what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Their work and those cultural action tools are available, so please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat it here. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized people experience by the structure of this imposed racism. Um, what is internalized racism by Donna Bevins is a PDF. She has a ton of resource files at racialequitytools.org so that you can start to unlearn all of this colonialism we've been taught. Do's and don'ts for bystander interventions by American Friends Service Committee, AFSC.org. You can go there and learn how to help people who are intervened. Marina spoke about it. I speak about it in all of my podcasts where people don't listen to us. They don't see their anti-Indigenous bias. It's start working on that people, Jesus. 
Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas and reports, commissions and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms if they don't recognize marginalized with their uh, in their budgets with gender equity plus if they're cutting violence prevention programs services indigenous education uterus health choices gay straight alliances lack of human rights for migrants immigrants folks with disabilities know you're voting for someone who's going to directly negatively impact marginalized people demand they implement the truth and reconciliation commission calls to action the recommendation of the royal commission on aboriginal peoples the multiple reports about child welfare reform violence prevention and now we have 231 calls to justice from the national inquiry on missing and murdered indigenous women girls and two-spirit provincially in alberta the kenny government created 113 pathways to justice so all you blue voters should be holding your blue MLAs to account on it. Follow the Premier's Council on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Work. Municipally, we have the White Goose Flying Report. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice, all institutions, with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians and yourself as Canadians. Do more. They don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism. They have zero business running. Should be understood by sports clubs, nonprofits, community organizations. You can Google how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies. Stephanie Sharp and I had an emergency podcast in the hope we could reach our allies to write and do more on the crisis we're facing. You can go to aboriginalalert.ca. You can also go to the Missing Children's Society of Canada. They have an app that you can get. Uh, we actually talked about demand the urgent action for protecting the lives of Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit and gender diverse peoples experiencing homelessness at womenshomelessness.ca. If you are using an opioid, we beg that you do not use alone. If you are using a loan, you can make safety plans. You can contact the National Overdose Response Service at 888-688-NORS for support. And there's two apps you can download, the Brave and the Doors app to help you with a safety plan. If you're experiencing a, a emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855-242. 3310. It is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also text hopeforwellness.ca. Their website has a little text option. And if more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. It is toll-free 24-7. For non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area, usually a functioning 211 or you can call 833-456-4566. CrisisServiceCanada.ca has many other resources for folks who need it. If you are a 60 Scoop Indigenous person, you can go to the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta at ssisa.ca. The following are two SLGBTQ2 plus crisis supports available in most uh, areas of Canada. You can go to lifevoice.ca. The Trans Lifeline is 877-330-6366. The Trevor Project helps fund this in 844-7386 for LGBTQ2 plus youth. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care, how we take our power back. 
This is why I started the podcast to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear my opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, even if they don't know anything about Indigenous peoples, colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. I and many others share um, racism that we experience daily. It's unacceptable anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed, and I hope this podcast specifically helped you with understanding what being trauma-informed is. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism and gatekeepers who survive off the status quo, people who are in their trauma, people who stop people from doing good work and deplete the resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for me, Indigenous people, folks with disabilities, QT BIPOC and others. Masicho to my ancestors, to my granny and my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to say thank you to my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and teaching me to be a Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation Calgarian. To my husband, Darcy, big Buffalo Rockman, for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, uh, father of our child, he has supported my red road journey and has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. To our child, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from you daily and we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my family will be proud in the future of us discussing these present day issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel. You can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. On my birthday, I put out a wish to go to Ottawa for May 4th. If you'd like to make a one-time uh, donation to help me run for the Indigenous Peoples Commission female co-chair, you can donate there. And I want to end by giving side-eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. So thank you for listening.